welcome to the monthly Skill Bites show, where we share information that is geared to helping you succeed in your business. This is Judy Weintraub, CEO of Skill Bites and host of this show. If you want to position yourself as an expert, one of the best ways to do that is to become a published author. Skill Bites author platform provides the easiest way to get a book written and published. delighted to have with us Tom Gill. Tom is a senior sales strategist, coach, and trainer with Business Development University. Tom has worked with numerous Fortune 500 companies in a variety of industries. He's going to be sharing with us his expertise on maximizing the power of relationships to drive business development. Tom, welcome. It's so good to have you with us today. Judy, it's an honor and a pleasure to be here with you today. I'm very excited. Excellent. Well, can you start us off by uh, giving us some background on how you came to get into sales and coaching and training? Absolutely. So I graduated from Westchester University back in the late 80s. And unlike many people at that time or even today, I actually wanted to get into a sales role, sales career. And uh, unfortunately, at that time, there wasn't any certification or anything like that. So I just had to go out there and try to figure out what options I had. And I was looking at the insurance industry and uh, didn't go directly into that. Instead, I linked up with a friend of mine who was working for a small computer company. And it was a retail establishment, except the owner of the company didn't want me to work the retail end. He wanted me to generate uh, wholesale opportunities, if you will. So my task, uh, like many people back in the day, was there's a list, there's a phone, there's a desk, start calling. So no formal sales training or anything like that. Didn't even know what computers were or could do. I had a computer course in college, but had some help with some of my fraternity brothers on a programming course. So didn't really know what I was selling, but knew that I could just pick up the phone and start dialing for dollars, as we used to say. So hmm. I got I got into this company and helped the company grow from four million to twelve million during my first year. And lo and behold, that was my last year with the company because I got replaced by a family member that was coming up from the Baltimore area to take my place. And so I was very shocked and upset. And figured, okay, well, maybe this is this is a sign that I need to get into the insurance business. And so I interviewed a number of different companies and got my licenses and so forth and started working in the insurance business. And unfortunately, the insurance business is a very tough road to hoe when you're 22, 23 years old. You're trying to talk to people about their financial security and their financial future and you generally don't have two nickels to rub together. So I lasted a little bit longer than the average. Average per person goes out there and sells their friends, sells their family, and then they're typically out of the business in about a year, year and a half. So I was in the business for about three years and then started to start a family and decided that I didn't want to be out nights and weekends and so forth. So I kind of got into more service-oriented roles. And so the, the better part of the next dozen years or so, I was in more service roles, but also had the opportunity to support our clients with 
sales activities, if you will, selling them additional business and so forth. And then uh, back in 2006, I had an opportunity to work for one of the largest payroll providers out there, both on the inside and the outside. And that's really where I got my teeth cut, if you will, in the sales world and really loved the opportunity to connect with business owners, C-level executives from the Ohio Valley to New York Metro region virtually. And then I had an established territory here in the Philadelphia market. So that really taught me quite a bit about the sales world from a professional perspective and selling, you know, in the B2B space. And uh, for the next couple of years after I left ADP, I got into training and development or learning and development companies because my goal was really to not only sell, if you will, but also be able to facilitate, coach, and train. And while this was all going on, back in 1997, I joined Toastmasters, and the Toastmasters experience has been just phenomenal. So it's helped me with my public speaking, my communication skills, as well as my leadership skills. And I've been able to kind of parlay that into a number of the different roles that I've had, especially in the sales and, and coaching. And so uh, that's what brought me here to Business Development University. Back in January of this year, I reconnected with Lisa Peskin, who we've known each other for probably eight or nine years through a referral or through a, a networking partner, if you will. And uh, she she asked me if I wanted to check her company out. So I sat through her one-day sales leadership course. And I was wowed by it. I was excited by it. And then I sat through her two-day training for individual sales professionals. And I was also wowed and excited by that as well. So I began working with her coaching and training and facilitating since January of this year. So you've been in sales now for, what, about almost 40 years? Uh Probably 30 plus. Yeah. I mean, if you count yeah. some of my days selling my services at the local Acme when I was eight or nine years old, then yeah, it might be closer <laughs> to 40. <laughs> wow. So you've probably learned a lot that um, we have. can benefit from. I have. One of the biggest lessons I've learned, Judy, is, and it's taken all of the, you know, the better part of the last two to three years or so to learn this lesson and it's nobody wants to be sold, but there are certainly people and, and prospective customers out there would, that would like to buy our stuff, buy your, your products or your services. But there's all, there's far too many people out there that are just selling this stuff and pushing their stuff. So we have a, a bit of a different spin on it, if you will. Our approach is more of a consultative approach in that you go out there and you have a conversation with someone and you figure out if there's a way that you can help them. And when you take that sales hat off or when professionals take that sales hat off and go in there more of an advisor, more of a, as a confidant, as a person that might be able to help a prospective buyer, then the relationship becomes much more in tune with what people want. Because mm -hmm. nobody likes to be sold again, but they, they certainly do like to buy. And 
assuming that you've got a good value proposition for your company, whether it's a product or service. There are companies out there that need and want your service or your product, but you can't just go in there and present it without kind of going through a, a diagnosis or discovery type process. Right. I heard um, uh, something that has always stuck with me. Several years ago, I was told that um, if you're uncomfortable with sales, then think of the word S-A-L-E as H-E-L-P. Yeah. If you are aiming to help somebody with whatever your product or services, service is, then you'll be a much better salesperson than if you were trying to sell them your product or service. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and we liken it to whenever you go to a brand new doctor, what do they have you do? You walk in and you fill out the clipboard with all the 50,000 questions, and then you eventually get to see the doctor. But the doctor doesn't normally just say, hey, Judy, based on how you look today, I think you need open-heart surgery. Come on, I want to schedule you for next Tuesday. You know, if, if a doctor did that to you, what would you do? You'd probably run out the door. I know I would. And so our approach is more of a of a, an advisor of of that doctor who is really just kind of sitting down, having the conversation, finding out what your pains are, what your aches and pains are, what you know some some of the things that are bothering you, and then just really kind of drilling down because some of the pains might be symptoms of other things, and that's another big idea, if you will, and that some of the business owners and leaders out there are putting band-aids on things so they're, they're thinking that the issue is really X, but it's X minus Y or X plus Y because they've really just kind of thrown some band-aids or, or patches on the problems and not really dealt with the underlying issue. Right, because you could be solving something that's not the critical issue for somebody and then it doesn't really do them much good. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so that's two points. Are there other um, key sales philosophies that um, would be helpful for us to know? So we like to use stories. Everybody can resonate. Everybody resonates with stories. Mm -hmm. So it's it's the thing. It's the kind of thing where you have to really get yourself ingrained with being a storyteller. And in a, in a good, positive, upbeat, honest way, uh, we're just we're going to assume that everybody knows that's listening to this program today that is authentic, they're loyal to their brand, they're loyal to themselves, they know that they know right from wrong, et cetera. So assuming all of that, the, the big idea is you've got whatever the number of years of history is based on however many people you have in the company, you've got tons and tons of client experiences. How can you turn those client experiences and those stories into something that is going to resonate with somebody else that's either in the same type of industry or similar geography, or they've gone through this, a similar type of situation, felt the same kind of pain or anguish around a people problem or a technology problem, 
and you present your story in a way that resonates with them. Mm-hmm. And stories are what people remember. They don't remember necessarily the data or all the analytics, but they certainly remember stories. And so we use stories a lot in our programs and in our coaching because people really resonate with them. Are there some best practices around coming up with stories that you can share? Yeah, so you want to be able to capture any particular major wins or major successes. But it's also on the flip side, let's think let's think about and capture the stories about a failure or something that didn't necessarily go the way that we were anticipating. So you can learn from that and you can also share that both on the success side, if you will, and the failure side with a potential prospect or prospective uh, customer, and hopefully they can think about that in terms of what they're looking to accomplish. And those really resonate well with with our customers. Right. So since your prospects may not all have the same issues, you really ought to have prepared a set of stories that you can sort of pull out of your sleeve depending on who you're talking to and what their issues are. Absolutely. And, and across the board, business is business, right? So whether it's a manufacturing company or distribution company or pharma company, professional services, we're all trying to do the same kinds of things. We're trying to maximize our productivity. We're trying to make sure we've got the right team on the bus and in the right seat. And in the sales or business development world, we've got to make sure that we've got both hunters and farmers that are out there plowing the fields, if you will. So the hunters would be those that are going out and and trying to get new logos or new companies to partner with us. And then the farmers are the ones that are the account managers, if you will, that are kind of taking the responsibility for the relationship once it's already been sold, if you will. And again, that's that's another area where some companies just kind of fall down because they might slide somebody in from a marketing perspective or from a client services role rather and think that they can just slide into a sales role without any training. We we just had our two-day training yesterday and the day before and three of the four participants were fairly green, fairly new to the sales world, but their companies felt that it was a good investment for them to get some basic fundamental training on the world of sales. And especially for some of the, the folks that are out there that have been selling for 20, 30 years, well, the world has certainly changed over the last 20, 30 years, especially since 9-11 and all that business. So our customers are that much more sophisticated because they have access to the information online. So we've got to make sure that we are meeting the customers where they are, but also differentiating ourselves. And the, the way the big differentiator for us is how we tell our stories. We share our successes, we share our failures, but we also share stories that 
for example, there's there's a story that we share in our training program about an issue with the IRS. And this was back in you know the, the days where we worked with the payroll company. Well, sometimes customers or potential customers don't necessarily want to open up and talk about their pains or some of the things that are bugging them or causing them issues in their back office. So we share a story about a, a gentleman in New Jersey who spent 25 plus hours of his time sending a check and communicating back and forth to the IRS about a check that he received from them, but he wasn't due the check. So he eventually just deposited the check into his bank account and then let his lawyer handle the, the rest of the business with the IRS. But when you present an issue like that and you say, well, Judy, have you ever experienced issues with the IRS like that? Oh, yeah, of course we have. And then so it gets them to kind of open up and talk to you about some of the issues that they've had. So there's there's a number of different techniques, if you will, to share those stories. And I'll just share an, another one, which is really just making sure that you've got enough passion and belief in what you're trying to propose or what you're representing to the marketplace. And I know with all the people that are coming through our training programs and our coaching programs, there's a lot of great companies out there that are providing a lot of great stuff to the world. And if you can go out there and be passionate, have the energy, have the excitement and the enthusiasm in an honest and truthful way, then you're probably going to be able to have better conversations with prospective clients and get them excited because it's not the hole that they're after, it's, or it's not the drill that they're after, it's the hole that the drill provides. Right, the solution, yeah. rather than the tool. <clears throat> yes, yes. Okay. Um, you mentioned how this world is so very different from the world 30, 40 years ago. What are some of the top business development strategies that you recommend that, um, that people be thinking about implementing today? Sure. So we don't believe in cold calling, although I know there's companies out there that teach cold calling. And for us, it's just, it's an interruption, right? If you're calling somebody, someone cold, then you've, you've got an uphill battle right from the beginning because you're interrupting their day. And so we don't necessarily believe in cold calling, but we do believe in prospecting. And, you know, some of the better ways to prospect today is to run through in your mind and, and put it out on, on a whiteboard if you have to, create some legitimate reasons to contact a prospective client. So a number of reasons that we run through in our training courses and, and in our coaching sessions with clients is, okay. We, we saw you at an event. We saw you speaking. We're just following up on that engagement and just looking to have either a telecoffee, which is I'm at my desk and you're at your desk and we're having a, our own cups of coffee, but we're having a, a 15, 20 minute initial conversation. Or it could be based on your experience with a similar type client and market trends and so forth. You you know that they pretty they, they will pretty much have a similar type situation and similar need. And then there's also on the flip side of that, 
an unknown need. There's so many business leaders and business owners that don't really know what's going on within their sales team because, A, they might not have, and we see this all uh, quite a bit, they might not have specific numbers for the salespeople to shoot for, if you will. And so that creates a problem. Um, and going back to those that event, there, there might be an event coming up that you think that could be worthwhile for a prospective client. So you reach out and you invite them to that. We've done, you know, we've done that on a regular basis and it works pretty well. And oh, by the way, once you get there to the event, it's not a matter of just saying hello to that person and letting them walk throughout the networking event or the association event or whatever it is. It's kind of walking them through and inviting them to connect with other people that you know in the, at the event or connecting with the event planner in advance to say, Judy, I'm, I'm bringing a guest to this event and they're in this type of industry. Who are some of the players at this event that you think they might enjoy meeting or that they really need to meet? So we'll make those warm introductions for them, make it easier for them to get connected with, to some of the people in there. Another good legitimate reason to reach out to somebody is, you know what, Judy, we just solved a puzzle, if you will, for another company that's in the same industry. So one of your competitors. Oh, and then they start to think, okay, so if you're working with my competitor, I need to have that competitive edge too. Let's talk. Let's have that conversation. And obviously, we're, we're not going to share what we're doing with each of the different companies. But once they know that their their competitor is using your solution, if you will, then it's an opportunity for them to put, you know, have have the light bulb go off and really kind of roll up their sleeves and say, well, if the, if our competitor is doing it, we need to stay ahead of the curve. So, what can we do differently or better to help make us win more clients. Okay. And then um, I believe you do a lot of work on social media as well. Is that right? We do. We, it's not the, the bulk of our business, but we do help our clients with social media and primarily LinkedIn. And we liken LinkedIn to the online Rolodex. Back in the day, we had the physical Rolodex of business cards and so forth. So it's just another tool in our tool belt, if you will, in terms of meeting people and connecting people. So we, we offer some support in the area of LinkedIn, although it's not a, a, a big thrust for us at this point. Oh, okay. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about the um, the training sessions that you have coming up. I think you mentioned that there's a leadership training session as well as a um, um, another sales strategy session. Or, um, yeah. So we have a uh, we have a one day sales training course for sales leaders or sales managers. Or it could be ideal for CEOs or small business owners that are not only running the ship, but they're also kind of overseeing the sales team, if you will. So we kind of take them through a uh, an authentic approach, and which is really just 
not only holding your your sales team accountable, but really treating them more like people and not necessarily people that work for you. And uh, so we do that in a, in a full day. And then our two-day training class is uh, soup to nuts from prospecting to close and everything in between, if you will. And it's ideal for people, as I mentioned earlier, that are brand new or green to sales or they're moving from a client service role into sales or a marketing role into sales. And it's also ideal for those 20, 30, 40-year veterans who maybe have gotten kind of stuck because they're trying to use tactics and tools and techniques from the 1970s and 80s, which really don't work today. And uh, so there's there's a lot of aha moments, and, and the, the, the aha moments are obviously different for different people, but for some, it's just, hey, you know what? I never really thought about having a, a good sales process or a, a good buying process. And that whole buying process has certainly changed over the last several years. You know, it's not hardcore selling, trying to push, push, push. It's more of, like I said earlier, trying to have that initial conversation, pretending you're the doctor and trying to see if you could help somebody with the stuff that you provide, the service or the product that you provide. And you have some of these courses coming up, is that right? Yes, we do. So we do them on a pretty regular basis. The two-day is uh, pretty much on a monthly basis. We do them here in the Philadelphia market, Plymouth meeting, Philadelphia. Uh, The the next one coming up is going to be in Marlton, New Jersey. And then the sales leadership course or sales management course, we typically run that four or five times a year. So not not on a, a monthly basis. And then we do a lot of ad hoc, if you will, or customized training for our clients if they have, you know, five or six people on their sales team. And they want us to come in and kind of tailor it to their specific industry and so forth. We'll do that. And we've also done a number of lunch and learns. And lunch and learns from a sales perspective, if you will, are really a good way. We're coming across a lot of clients nowadays that are using lunch and learns. And it's a way to kind of test the waters, if you will, stick your big toe in the deep end, if you will. And get the clients to test you out a little bit. So the lunch and learns are, are a good way for clients to really connect with their audience on a non-threatening level. I don't know if this is um, an area that you have much expertise in, but I know it's an area that a lot of people struggle with, and that is hiring a good salesperson. Can you speak at all to that? Absolutely. So we generally like to see previous sales experience for the companies that we're working for. Although if it's something, and and this will be kind of a nice segue into one of the points that I wanted to make about uh, our certification. So as long as they've got, and you know, we look at sales in as a function of three areas, really business development is, is really the function of three areas. So it's pipeline. You know, do you have a, a target market of companies? And some companies, are, it's very niched. So they only focus on healthcare or technology or what have you. But for many companies, it's across the board. It's a wide range of industries that they can sell to, if you will, or help. And 
but many times they don't necessarily have all the data that supports that. So they might not have all the different companies that they could go out and prospect and have conversations with. Um, another 25% is that process. And we find that all too often, sales professionals, while they're professionals, kind of run it loosey-goosey and, and don't necessarily have a game plan. In other words, they wing it. And you can't wing it. Hope is not a strategy, and there is a book, you know, that that talks about that. So hope is not, is definitely not a strategy. And far too often we see that by not having a process, you really don't have a game plan, and therefore you really don't know what your numbers are month to month, quarter to quarter, and year to year. And you know, the sales world it's a it's a tough world, if you will, or can be. We like to think that by working the relationships and building the relationships can help you take your close ratio within the B2B space is typically around 30%. And so if you look at, uh, for those of you that are baseball fans out there, a 280 hitter in baseball over their lifetime is, I would say most people would say that's pretty good, right? And then when you jump up to a 330 hitter over your lifetime, most people would say that's Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. The difference is five hits per hundred. Twenty-eight, or the, the two eighty average is twenty-eight hits per hundred. Three thirty is thirty-three hits per hundred. So it's those little things, those little tweaks that really make a difference. And so when we see people that are always willing to go the extra mile, and you can hear it in their voice, you can, you can see it in their actions when you're interviewing them or you're having the one-on-one conversation with them. And then we believe a full 50% of the the game of business development here is, is attitude and motivation. So am I willing and able and committed to going out there and doing the stuff that you need to do, all the activities, the phone calls, the email, the networking events, et cetera, on a day-in, day-out, week-in, week-in, month-in, month-out basis because sales, like life, is sometimes like a whack-a-mole game. You know, you're excited about a, a particular sale or a win or a, co- a company that you just brought on board, and then all of a sudden, the next week, you got nothing, and, and everybody's telling you no, so you kind of just bop down, and you got to just kind of pick yourself back up and you've got a few more wins, and then you're going to get bopped down again because, again, looking at the 280 or 330 hitter, even the 330 hitter, they're, they're striking out, or they're, essentially they're not getting on base. What is that, 67 times out of, out of 100? Times. Right? Yeah. Two, two out of three times, right? So it can be demoralizing. It can be discouraging. And yet, if, if, if we know the people coming into it have the right kind of attitude, they're a, they're a doer, they're a go-getter, they believe that the glass is half full and not half empty, you know, all those positive traits, and they're coachable, they're teachable. They have the attitude that they don't know it all. And so when, when we come across people like that, then we generally say, yeah, that's probably a good hire. So as part of our value prop, if you will, is you know we'll, we'll jump on a phone or we'll have a face-to-face 
ad hoc interview meeting with somebody that one of our clients is trying to pull into the organization. And we also have partnerships with firms out there that specialize in salespeople. So they'll run them through their um, programs and, and kind of screen them, if you will. And, you know, sales isn't for everybody. So we know that you've got to kind of have some of the innate qualities of being a, a good out, you know, don't necessarily be, have to be outgoing, but you've got to be personable. You've got to be able to connect with people. You've got to be intelligent and forthcoming and trust, you know, trustworthy and honest and all that. But you also have, have to have that, you know, that, that 212 degree attitude where, you know, water, when it, when it reaches 212 degrees, it boils and, 212 degrees of, of boiling water can power a steam train, uh, you know, a locomotive. So we like to see people that are, you know, constantly thinking about how we how we can make that they can go the extra mile. Um, I'll give you a quick example. I was just talking with a gentleman last night at a networking event, and he said he's just on the phone constantly, he's cranking them out, and you know, his mantra at the end of the day is one more call, one more call. Well, my mantra has always been eight before eight, meaning eight calls before eight a.m., and five after five, meaning five after five p.m. So if you can make eight calls before you even start your day, and that could be 7.30 in some cases or 7 o'clock, but then at the end of the day, you know what? you got to just get out there and you got to push yourself a little bit more to make those five extra calls because you just never know. And that's, in fact, when a lot of C-level executives especially are at their desk because they're not nine to five typically working. They're at their desk early, they're staying late, and that's a good opportunity for you to potentially connect with them. Okay, great. Now you mentioned the importance of um, a pipeline and a process, uh, especially on the process side. Um, what are some of the steps that good salespeople should have for their sales process? So what we see many times, Judy, is that companies don't have a discovery or a needs analysis type form or format. So again, they go out there and they wing it. They might spend 15, 20 minutes trying to schmooze, if you will, get to know the person, build good rapport, which is all well and good. But if you only have an hour and you've got 15 to 20 minutes already spent building rapport, you don't have a whole lot of time to really get to the nitty-gritty details and, and trying to uncover some of the prospects, needs, or pain issues. So having a, a really good discovery process, and again, that discovery process isn't you know, 20 questions that you're just hammering away at the client, but it's questions that are going to get you to understand what the client is really going through. Um, and in that discovery process, we have found that many sales professionals, not only do they have not have a good process, and in many cases don't have a, a formal discovery process, but they go in and they're just going right to, call it presentation mode, where they're excited about, presenting their wares, their services, their products, without even going through and understanding what the client is all about. 
where their pain points are, what they're really struggling with, what's most important to them. And so we, we've worked with companies in helping them put together that discovery process. And another big idea, which we always have a debate at our training classes about this, and it's, we call it N to the second degree, which means needs to the second degree. And so, for example, we ask the participants in our classes, in general, where, where would you see, what would you think is the most important need, the client needs or your needs, your needs meaning the sales professional? And nine times out of 10, most people that are coming through the training course, is, they're saying it's the client's needs. Well, in our philosophy is you've really got to know and understand what your needs are as a, as a professional. And so I'll give you a, a few quick examples and then some uh, a technique that we teach our, our clients on how to use. So it's our needs are really this, who's the decision maker or makers? What's the decision making process? What is the decision making criteria? You know, the timeline for decision, uh, the project importance. You know, is it a must have or is it a like to have or a nice to have? And so if we, can, we as sales professionals can find out that information on the front end, then when we walk our clients through the dance, if you will, through the buyer's, pro, buyer's process or sales process, if you will, then they're more likely at the end of that process to say, oh, wow, dude, this is a no-brainer. I, I can see how this is going to impact our business, our bottom line. It's going to help me in the work that I'm doing. It's going to help my team and our company. Wow, yeah, let's 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 get this going. How do we sign up? How do we get started, right? And for some people asking those decisions, if you're too direct and too up too cold, if you will, with asking them, then it's probably not going to work because they're not going to give you the information that you need. Many people on the other side of that conversation don't necessarily want to offer you what their decision-making process is, or who the other decision-making, who the the other decision makers are. In fact, most often, when you're talking to somebody, if you're not at the right level, they'll typically say, "Oh, I make all the decisions." And then, you know, as you go through the process, it, you come to find out, "Oh, well, I've got to run this up the flagpole, and or we have to have a board meeting, and the board has to stamp it and approve it, and so forth." So. Salespeople can get really lost in the shuffle and, and have stalled opportunities and not really create the value that they should be creating with companies that they should be doing business with because of not having a really good sales process. And part of that, a big part of that is the discovery process. And so it can also that, um, save you time because absolutely. if you discover that this person you're talking to is really not a good fit for you, um, yeah. then um, you can wrap up the conversation fairly quickly and move on to somebody else. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and not everybody's going to be a good fit. You know, that's a mistake I think that a lot of sales professionals make in thinking that everybody's a prospect, especially when you're going out there at networking events. And I go to a lot of networking events here in the Philadelphia area, I've tried different chamber events and so forth, and 
you know, chamber events aren't necessarily the best for us, but, you know, we're, we're local members and we want to kind of, you know, be a resource if we can and, and when we can to different companies. So the way we approach networking events is going out there and trying to put people together, match people up, if you will. So, you know, if I know that a, um, a technology salesperson in my network is looking for introductions to bankers or professional, other professional service type people, then I'll typically go there with, uh, with the intent of in, uh, inviting them to connect with other people that I know that are in that space. And I just want to go back to the whole process of asking those hard questions, if you will. You know, there's there's a, a technique that we use called prefacing statements, if you will. And it's just, it's just a way to kind of soften the blow, if you will, in asking the question. So one example of that might be, just out of curiosity, Judy, beside yourself, who else is involved in this decision-making process, right? Or um, just out of curiosity, Judy, uh, last time you guys went through this process and, and decided to go with a vendor partner, you know, what were some of the things that were top of mind for you then, right? So it's just a couple of, couple of techniques there to use in asking those difficult questions or hard questions. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've got the discovery section of the process. What's next after that? So typically next it would be come back and, uh, you know, give a presentation. And it depends on the industry. It could be a presentation followed by an actual uh, proposal followed by a closing. So there's, there's different flavors of that. But essentially, you know, once you go through that discovery process, then you basically come back and we like to use a more informal process, if you will, where we'll just come back and we'll we'll talk about some ideas that we have based on what we talked about in that discovery meeting. And then if the client is on board with that, sometimes it's okay, let's you know, let's do this. We're hey, we got a handshake and here's our next steps. Um, for some industries, it's you know, we've got to go through a formal presentation, and that formal presentation could be a PowerPoint slide deck with a, you know, 10, 15-page proposal and so forth. And I've been involved in companies that utilize those long proposals and a, you know, huge slide deck and all that kind of stuff. So you've got to really figure out what works for you and what's going to work most for your clients in today's world. People are just too busy to run through a 10 or 15 page or 20 page proposal or a 20, 30 page slide deck. So if, if you are using that, then you've got to, you know, make it exciting for them and maybe chunk it down so that you're not boring them to death and you're, you're taking your time and you're walking through really what it means to them or they're with them, if you will, in terms of how it's going to benefit them individually, the team and the company. And then you get to the closing stage. Are there some you get to the best practices that you can share with going from the presentation slash proposal stage to the closing stage? Yeah, so uh, as part of our training program, we show a quick clip of the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross um, movie with Alec Baldwin and, you know, as much as 
it was pretty hardcore back then, and it's certainly hardcore now. The ABCs, if you will, always be closing. You're essentially closing from the very beginning. You know, it's that initial conversation with someone, the face-to-face or the telecoffee, and you're getting them to buy you, in essence. You're not getting them to necessarily buy your product. They're first buying you and your credibility. Um, and by the way, with LinkedIn, as we mentioned earlier, you know, one of the best ways to get that instant credibility with your clients, your prospective clients, is to have at least three recommendations in your current role on LinkedIn, preferably from clients, from, from very happy and satisfied clients. And so the closing really does very much begin even before you make the call or before you reach out to the client. It's how you position yourself. If you position yourself as that confidant, that advisor, that person that's really there to help them, then in all likelihood, you know, nine times out of 10 or seven or eight times out of 10, you're going to get the sale. You're going to get the, the, the new client. Um, and you just, you walk the client through the process. You always go back to all the different ways that the solution that you're providing can help them. It's always, it's always about their win and what's in it for them. And, you know, again, there's different techniques. I mean, you've got a, a, a lot of different techniques out there. Call it the um, best time close or the choices close where the, you get them, uh, give them three different flavors, if you will, or a gold, silver, bronze. And so you, you've got a number of different tools out there. We, we generally go with the assumptive close, meaning, okay, we're just going to assume that we've done our homework on the front end and we know that you're a pretty good prospective client based on your industry, your company size. And, you know, for us, it's five to a hundred million dollar company. So we know if we're playing in that space and it's an ideal company and here in the Delaware Valley or beyond, then we're just going to assume that, you know, you probably have some areas of help or areas that are lacking within your sales or business development world. So we're going to assume that, you know, if you give us an initial meeting, that we're going to be able to come up with some ideas nine times out of 10 that are going to be able to help you. So we, we, you know, use that assumptive close. Um, there's all kinds of techniques, if you will, like that in terms of the different ways to ask a closing question, but we really want to make sure that our, our people, our clients, the people that we work with are just really being authentic. And when you have an authentic sales process, you have a, a good value prop, you're persistent, you're polite, you're professional, you know, you're going to get the business. It might not be this month. It might not be next month. It might not be next year. But if they have a, a need, chances are they, you know, if you have a go, if you go through a good process with them and they feel very comfortable with you, then you'll get the business. Now, I will say this that many times, and it's, it's funny because we I go through this when, when we're going through the training class, and that is if you've got an objection, aka a yellow light, some people's world, if, if there's a yellow light, and we, run, we go through a round robin, if you will, and ask the participants, so Judy, if you're coming up on an intersection, and you know, just on average, I know some situations are different because of weather and so forth, but on average, 
What are you doing when you come to an intersection and the light turns yellow? What are you doing, Judy? Slowing down. You're slowing down. All right. So you're in the minority because most people that I've asked this question to over the last six months or so, eight out of 10 are blowing through. <laughs> right? So in the sales and business development world, if you see a yellow light or you hear a yellow light, meaning a potential objection, then you've got to kind of slow down. You've got to handle that objection. And oh, by the way, some of the objections are real. And I'll give you a, a quick example. There's some companies out there that might be implementing a new ERP system. They've said no new vendors, no new projects or anything for the next six to nine, six to 12 months, because that's how long this whole ERP implementation is going to take. Okay, so that's a legitimate objection. You do, obviously you can't just blow through that yellow light if somebody says, well, you know, now is not the time for it. And on the flip side, there are many instances where, and we talk about what sunk the Titanic as an, as an example, right? It wasn't what was above the waterline, it was what was below the waterline. So in some cases, it's those hidden objections and again, if you have a good discovery process, you're being authentic with people, you're being real, you know, you're asking the right questions to the right people, you're finding out their timeline, all the, all the needs, you know, their decision-making process and so forth. You're going to be able to drop that waterline so that there won't be any hidden objections. But in the event that there are some hidden objections or objections that you don't necessarily no, or they've not, you know, sprung up, if you will. Again, it's like you've got to just kind of take a time out and say, hey, Judy, you know, I'm just, I'm a little confused right now. And, you know, I, there might be something going on in the, at, at the executive level or internally or something, but I'm just, I'm having a hard time understanding here because based on our previous conversation, it sounded like this was a great fit. It was great timing. It was it was a good. It was a win-win for us. And now I'm getting a sense that something's going on. So, can you just be straight with me and tell me like what you know what's going on? I really just want to understand. Hmm. And sometimes it, it it might be something that's completely out of your control or their control. It could be something that you know the CEO's wife just got cancer or something or somebody got hit by a Mack truck or something like that and they're just not going to be available and they're a key part of the implementation so okay that's that's a, a sad thing and it's a legitimate excuse or reason if you will for them to not move forward so again you can't just assume anything and you can't just obviously just kind of push through or blow through that yellow light because it's always going it's going to come back to bite you Right, although sometimes the objections aren't what they seem to be. I mean, if yeah. somebody says, well, I just don't have time for that, um, well, it, it could be that they don't have time for it, but it could be something totally different. Yeah, and again, that's where we kind of we have to keep our advisor hat on, our doctor hat, and really just help the client peel back the onion because... It might be that situation where they don't have time. Okay, so what does that really mean? Ah, well, you know, 
Judy's going out on maternity leave next month. <laughs> All right, well, that's a pretty legitimate reason. So, yeah, we have to put the brakes on this. By the way, if Judy and her firm have some additional support that they can bring in or an intern or something like that, or if we as the service provider, the, the vendor partner, can supplement that their team or augment their team or basically just do all the heavy lifting. In a lot of cases, it, it is the vendor that's doing most of the heavy lifting. If we can do that and present it in a way that says, okay, Judy, you don't really necessarily need uh, to have that person on board because we're going to do all the heavy lifting. And by the time she gets back from maternity leave, we'll be implemented and then we can get her into training. Okay. Well, that sounds great. Um, you've given us a ton of information here, Tom. I really appreciate that. Um, Absolutely. I know I learned a lot, and um, you gave some, some good examples of ways to phrase things that I think will be really helpful to people. And you had mentioned that um, you work, or your company works principally with um, companies that are in the 5 million to 100 million range? Yeah, that seems to be our sweet spot. We've had a lot of success with uh, manufacturing companies and distribution companies, professional services, technology companies, and really sales is sales. So if companies out there are having some issues with the sales or business development team, you know, we're just all about having an initial conversation or an executive overview, if you will, and trying to see if there's ways that we can help them. And that's, that's, what, that's what we practice, that's what we preach, and it's what we really instill in our clients and we're getting some really good results across the board. If if somebody with a much smaller company wanted to reach out to you, would that be possible? Absolutely. I mean, that, that's kind of a guideline, uh, but we do see a, a number of clients that are small and smaller in size, if you will. And again, they're struggling with the same kinds of issues. And, you know, for those companies, it's even more important because you've got to get past that threshold, if you will, that that breaking point or that turning point so that, you know, if you've got one or two salespeople that aren't really doing the job, if you can go in and, and tweak things for them or get them some basic training and get them heading in the right direction, then, you know, the next couple of years, you could be able to expand your sales force and continue to grow. Okay. So how would people reach out to you? So we've got a website. It's called businessdevelopmentuniversity.com. We've got some uh, some good videos and some good BDU utensils, uh, some different resources, some different tools. Um, we you know we've developed Lisa and, and the company has developed a number of different tools that people can use. You can you can grab the tools from the website, sign up for our newsletter, and. Uh, Again, we're just we're we're happy to have the conversation to see if there's anything that we can do to help companies um, grow their business from a top line perspective. Great, and uh, can you tell us a little bit more? Though you said you'd have a couple training sessions coming up. What are the dates for those? Yep, absolutely. So the next sales management course is being offered on December seventh. 
and that's right here in Plymouth Meeting. And then our two-day for sales individuals, sales individual contributors is December 14th and 15th. And that one is going to be in Marlton, New Jersey. And I'll be leading both. I'll be I'll be leading the second one, co-facilitating with Lisa Peskin, our CEO, on the sales management course on December seventh. Great. Was is there a um, an offer that you wanted to make to the listeners today? Yeah. So we have two offers because one size doesn't necessarily fit all, right? So if you'd like to join one of our upcoming courses, we'd love to have you there. And uh, we can, we'd like to offer you a 25% discount, so you can use the code BDU for Business Development University, all capitalized, and then the number 25. So it's BDU25 for either one of those upcoming courses. And if you don't necessarily need training or you want to have an uh, initial consultation, if you will, we're happy to offer a 30-minute phone conversation. And... Uh, you just you can just reach us reach us through the website. Excellent. Well, thank you we so have much. A num- we have a number of uh, consultants that that are on on staff, if you will, that can support you. Very good. Thank you for offering those to our listeners. Absolutely. Um, and thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Judy. It's been an honor and a pleasure, and uh, I hope. I hope your listeners have enjoyed the program and have taken a couple of golden nuggets and uh, feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to have a conversation with you. Excellent. Let me uh, share with the audience that next month, the Skill Bites show will be on December 17th from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern. Our guest will be Gabrielle Sale. Gabrielle is a lawyer who represents authors in their contract negotiations with literary agents and publishers. In this show, Gabrielle is going to talk about how to get a literary agent and some of the important contractual terms that you're going to need in your contract with either a literary agent or a publisher. So stay tuned for December 17th with Gabrielle Sale. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Judy.